What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Abu Bakar Noor Khalil is the CEO and CTO at Recursive Capital. In this conversation, we talk about recursive. We talk about Bitcoin development. We talk about the adoption of Bitcoin in African nations. And we talk about funding all sorts of different infrastructure to help get Bitcoin in the hands of people who need it most globally. I also talked to Abu Bakar about sitting on the board of the Bitcoin Trust alongside Jack Dorsey and others. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. Today's episode is brought to you by Brave. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Again, go download Brave at brave.com slash pomp and click the wallet icon to get started. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is the top spot for all of your sports betting, casino, and poker needs. It's available on your computer, your tablet, or your mobile device. BetOnline accepts Bitcoin and more than a dozen altcoins to make deposits and withdraw your winnings. There are no crypto fees. Processing only takes minutes, and transactions are 100% anonymous and secure. Head over to betonline.ag and sign up today to receive a 100% crypto bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code POMP100 to get started. Discover why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager with crypto for sports, casino games, horse racing, poker, and more. Sign up today at betonline.ag and double your deposit with our exclusive podcast promo code POMP100. Go check them out at betonline.ag. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, here we go. We've got uh, Abu Bakar, uh, who is the CEO of Recursive Capital uh, and also sits on the board of the Bitcoin Trust. I'm super excited about this. Uh, hello, sir. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. 
Amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like uh, you have a unique insight into a place in the world uh, of various countries across Africa that are at the forefront of Bitcoin adoption, not only from what we're actually seeing in terms of where it's being used and adopted, but also the importance of Bitcoin. Right here in the United States, uh, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, Bitcoin's cool. It's one of a lot of different you know, investment assets that I have. And maybe it's going to go up in price. Maybe it won't. But there's a lot of folks, my understanding, uh, across Africa who this is a lifeline. This is you know, incredibly important. And so maybe let's just start with like when you think about uh, kind of all of the work you've done, all of the data and information that you've gathered uh, over the last few years, like what is the importance of Bitcoin to various African nations? That's, that's definitely a great one. So historically, going back to, you know, the early days of when Bitcoin came into the continent, a lot of it was speculation, as you would expect. A lot of people got into Bitcoin hard thinking, you know, there'll be millionaires overnight. And that resulted in a lot of scams coming into the continent, which was really bad for the PR of Bitcoin overall. But then over the years, what we started seeing, especially with regards to younger generations, is they're now noticing that Bitcoin is more than just this speculative asset or like this number go up technology. And there's the there's there's a lot more to it, specifically from the angle of a superior monetary network. And one of the major things or major benefits that they do see really early on is first of all, via the integration of the Lightning Network, which is you know through BitNot, for example, is a lot of people are starting to see that you could actually use Bitcoin on a day-to-day, both in terms of remittance as well as local commerce, which is unheard of in terms of using local currencies. Number one, they use these currencies having a lot of inflation. They use these currencies, even in terms of intra-country trade, a lot of that is not really done so so smoothly, so to speak. Well, Bitcoin, it allows you to have access to an open monetary network that is global, instant cheap. So it's, it's one of those things where over the years, we've seen a lot of more people move out of the speculative bubble and into actual use cases like, you know, permittance, like I said, commerce and then leveraging this technology to actually send money cheaply and the thing is not only is it banking the unbanked but also providing a viable alternative to those that are currently banked because again the problem with even those that are banked is they're getting underbanked so to speak which is having all these unreliable bank services at their at their disposal as opposed to being able to access bitcoin which is a superior you know system so to speak so really that those are the trends that we're seeing and will likely continue to increase as more wallets start to introduce, you know, the Lightning Network, for example. So these are kind of the trends that we're seeing and at least the good use cases that are being used, which is, thank God, outside of speculation. Yeah, it's fascinating to kind of think about uh, uh, many of these countries, right? In, I think it was 2016 or so, uh, I think I went to Nigeria. And one of the things that just blew me away was uh, the internet penetration and the mobile phone penetration. Everyone had a phone and they were all in some form or fashion connected to the internet. And I probably was in uh, kind of the computer village area in Lagos. So, you know, definitely maybe like a, a little bit of an outlier from just the, the uh, local economy. But when I think about that experience, you have to get the internet penetration. You have to get the mobile phone penetration in order for Bitcoin adoption to actually be present and to have that solution available. And so talk to me about kind of your understanding of where are we? Like, is it pretty much the default now that most young uh, people are aware of the internet, use the internet, have mobile devices? Uh, you know, do they have internet access in their home? Like, where are we in some of these countries? Yeah, so it varies because Africa is quite a huge continent and specifically with regards to infrastructure, both energy-wise and in terms of internet infrastructure, it really varies a lot. So 
you're, you're going to see a lot more of the, so to speak, developed energy infrastructure around the north, north parts of Africa and some parts of the south, like South Africa, for example, and Western Africa, you know, with Ghana having 24 hours electricity and then with Nigeria, not, not so much really when it comes to energy. And then with internet penetration really is, it's more, it's less fragmented than the energy distribution across the continent, which is good for adoption specifically, like you mentioned. And one of the things we're seeing specifically with regards to the demographics using Bitcoin is not only are we seeing younger people, also seeing older generations who are, you know, mom and pop stores actually getting access to Bitcoin. Because now with Bitnow, for example, one of the use cases we're seeing grow is actually having these shop owners allow individuals to pay them in Bitcoin using Bitnow. So they act as sort of this merchant system where people can actually interact directly with Bitcoin. And we're going to be seeing a lot more adoption with regards to using, you know, POS systems over the Lightning Network. Now, specifically with regards to smartphone penetration, like you're talking about, it's really, really high. And again, pairing that with the youthful population, all that we're seeing is a lot more young people being actively, you know, um, available online, which is great for using something like Bitcoin, which is digital and, you know, uh, digital native. So the thing, the thing that we're specifically seeing with regards to, you know, um, adoption when it comes to pairing, you know, the penetration rates as well as mobile phone adoption is we have to start thinking more in terms of trying to get more decentralized internet infrastructure here, or at least some sort of resilient internet infrastructure, so specifically things like mesh networking and some other ways in order to have a less of a reliance on some of the substandard internet infrastructure that we have on the continent, which we'll likely see more of going down the road. Yeah, it's fascinating to kind of think about this. Um, when you think about uh, Bitcoin development, uh, it's a weird thing where there's developers uh, across the world who try to build technology for other groups. It could be in my own country. It could be someone in another country. It could be for a different language, a different religion, wh whatever it is. But there's a huge advantage if you're able to build technology for you, right, and build technology for uh, your local community or, or the people that you grew up with, et cetera. What is the state currently of Bitcoin development uh, in some of these countries? And then how do you think about the importance of making sure that uh, people who not only uh, uh, are from African nations, but actually live in African nations are participating in the uh, Bitcoin development process? Yeah, so that's, that's definitely a great one. And, you know, over the years, we've seen quite a lot of progress in terms of actual development overall. So I like people to, you know, think of development as more of a holistic chunk in terms of Bitcoin. So when we say development, we're not specifically only narrowing it down to developers per se. We're also looking at individuals that are contributing overall to the ecosystem. So we're talking about language translation, for example, which there are great strides being made across the continent. So there are the individuals that are actively working on translating a lot of the Bitcoin material into their native languages into, you know, um, Amharic and some of the other languages, which is great because you think about it, people can only benefit from Bitcoin if they know about it. And if everything is locked into, you know, English, so to speak, then they're, they're locked out essentially from having this information readily available to them. Now, when it comes to developers, we're seeing a lot more people at least recognize that, number one, there's some sort of viable job option when it comes to actually working on Bitcoin. And it's not just a bunch of folks who are working pro bono, you know, so... Unfortunately, obviously, there are a couple of shitcoin projects that come into the continent and just, you know, airdrop a ton of money and then bring out a lot of these developers in terms of the mindshare onto building for shitcoin projects. But we're seeing a lot more individuals flock towards Bitcoin as they realize a lot more of the resilience that they're looking for in terms of both freedom and an actual monetary network to use for, you know, global remittances on Bitcoin as opposed to some of these other chains. We're seeing a lot more people build on Bitcoin. That's one. We're seeing a lot more people get interested to actually learn about Bitcoin, both from a developer perspective and in terms of average individuals trying to use Bitcoin. Another good thing that we're seeing is, you know, 
with the introduction of Gala, for example, which I'm a part of. And the good thing or the great thing with Gala is already we're currently, you know, um, having you know, the 13 participants, which will be graduating into the ecosystem to actually get Bitcoin jobs. So the cool thing with this project is we're allowing developers not only to learn about Bitcoin, but to actually practically have, you know, um, projects that they build on Bitcoin in order to build out their portfolio and actually look at ways in which they can improve Bitcoin or at least improve the usage of Bitcoin on the continent. So they're kind of localizing the context of Bitcoin development through this program. So we're going to be seeing a lot more projects like Gala come up. We're going to see a lot more people engage in language translation. We're going to see a lot more um, wallets and services integrate the Lightning Network, especially, and a lot more people trying to look at Bitcoin as more than just a speculative asset, like I said, and a true financial freedom tool. Yeah. When you think about recursive capital, which uh, which you're the CEO and I believe CTO of as well, um, it is focused on doing what? Investing in infrastructure around Bitcoin and bringing it to some of these nations? Yes. Yeah, so we're looking at it at a you know broader context, like I like to say, which the thing is we're trying to be active investors, not just passive investors. So one of the things that we're looking at doing is providing as much value into the ecosystem, especially when it comes to portfolio companies are invested in or just in general. So in terms of how we're trying to look at it from, let's say, five to 10 years, we're looking at actually having recursive capital, not only invest in portfolio companies, but actually have an arm, which is recursive lab. They'll be engaging in, you know, um, sort of liquidity management, liquidity provision, integration of Lightning and Bitcoin, as well as looking at another arm, which is recursive research. They'll be dealing with research and development in the continent and pumping out newsletters and research reports. But specifically with, your, with regards to, you know, a question about, us investing, what we're looking at is we're looking at infrastructure as well as some of the wallets and products and services. So when we see infrastructure, we like to look at it as not only mining, we're also talking about no software, for example, we're also looking at, um, you know, products and services that allow for second layer solutions, second layer solutions themselves, products that are built on those second layer solutions and kind of the general infrastructure around Bitcoin that enables it to continue to be a resilient monetary network. Yeah, it's fascinating uh, to kind of think about just how much work needs to be done um, what, what's been the response from the local tech community? Like in the United States, uh, people who are uh, focused on Bitcoin, they're seen as a little crazy, even in the tech community, which likes to kind of, you know, hold the flag of, uh, of innovation and, and, and uh, progress. W- what is it like in uh, uh, some of these areas where uh, maybe the tech community, are they into Bitcoin or are they not? And like, what's their response been? Yeah, it's been, it's been a bumpy ride, <laughs> to say the least. Initially, when we started out, you know, back in 2020, which is not really that long ago, but in Bitcoin terms, that's like a decade ago. What we started seeing was a lot of people go, hey, you know, this Bitcoin thing is a scam. We're not really feeling this. We might as well focus on FinTech. It's proven out the ecosystem is there, it's developed. And we're like, you know, you guys need to realize that this is the future of not only money, but financial freedom. And they're like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. And then what started happening over the years is, you know, as more companies came on, you know, the BitNobs, ETC, you know, the... Um, even the buy coins early on, a lot of people started realizing that there's more to it than just, like I said, speculation, especially with, you know, using um, dollar cost averaging through Bitnow, for example, that opened up the gates in terms of allowing people to not only use Bitcoin as a savings mechanism, but to have it, you know, actually growing their wealth. And that was a huge sell, especially for the younger guys or younger generation. So we're starting to see a lot more people respect the space or at least acknowledge that it exists. That's one. Too, in terms of the investor landscape, we're looking at a lot more, or we're seeing a lot more investors being open to Bitcoin and actually being open to investing in companies in the space. So our conversation has, or our conversations have become a lot more friendly when it comes to the investors and a lot more receptive, which is really great for the, for the overall ecosystem, because it means 
now we have capital that will likely come in and flood the gates and actually invest in these companies to grow the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. My last question, then my brother's got a couple of questions for you, is uh, the Bitcoin trust. My understanding is that about 7,000 people from around the world uh, applied uh, to be involved in some form or fashion. Uh, you were selected as one of those individuals. You're on the board of the Bitcoin trust, uh, which is uh, Jack Dorsey's uh, effort. Talk to me. Why, why were you interested in uh, participating? And then what are you guys doing there uh, in that body of work? Yeah, it's one of those things where you know, it's, it's, it's good to be on Twitter is all I have to say. Cause initially I got the, I got the request DM to me by my older brother. He was like, Hey dude, why don't you try this? And I was like, yeah, you know, just this, you know, little kid in the ecosystem and just being a dev and like, yeah, but worst case you wouldn't get in. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. So I got in and really the main reason why I wanted to you know apply or I did apply is because I see, I see ourselves as having a lot of um, responsibility going forward in terms of growing the space actively speaking like you mentioned the space is really really uh what i say it's it's really in its infancy which means there's a lot to do so one of the things i was thinking about especially going through the process which was you know um, at least initially it took quite a while for them to get back to us and to your point that is i guess now because we know there are like 70 people who applied so initially after they got back i was like wow i'm still in so after that throughout the process what was happening was you know i'm getting back in terms of um, providing our feedback in terms of outlining issues in the ecosystem, how are you going to actually tackle these issues because outlining issues is very, very easy. So what started happening was I started documenting really what I was going through in terms of the back and forth we were having all the way up to the interview process. So that was initially what eventually morphed into an article that I dropped in Bitcoin Magazine about growing the ecosystem in Africa. So the way I see it is, in general, we're talking about growing the ecosystem really has to be multifaceted, like I said has to not only be in terms of trying to get the developer efforts to a stage where it's not only competing at the global stage, but is actually leading in terms of development. We also have to look at things like language translation, which I think is going to be increasingly important as we're looking to hit demographics that are multilingual. So one of the things that we're primarily looking at on Trust is actually trying to, number one, maintain a set of really rigid principles going forward and outline how we're trying to grow the ecosystem in a really clear and concise way so that we don't trip ourselves up so that we have a clear path in terms of achieving the goals that we want. So we're looking at obviously being Bitcoin only, that's one, the huge important one. We're looking at ensuring that we have transparency throughout the process while still respecting you know, the privacy of some of the board members like myself. Obviously we don't want individuals coming up and mugging me <laughs> or some of the other board members like Carla and the rest that live on the continent. So these are, we're really looking at ways to grow the, the, the ecosystem and that will initially be focusing specifically on open source development and specifically on, on developers, especially through grant style funding, which is what we're primarily looking at. And obviously the target demographic or the target geography initially going on is, you know, Africa. So really that's kind of the like overall gist and like a quick brief of what we're trying to do. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's pretty incredible. I love this. Uh, Joe, John, what questions do you guys have? My question would just be on kind of the progress that's been made in Africa specifically. Uh, like, just talk me through kind of how you think about that today. What, I don't know if you want to give them a grade, but just like generally how, uh, how you view the progress and like how much further there is still to go. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, we're still at, at like the infant stages, really like in a global terms, really not even at a local context. So I'll still leave some, some room for, for leniency when it comes to the grading. So I'll give it like a B plus just because you know the, the development has been almost exponential in terms of you know, not only the products we're seeing but the heightened interest and as well as the conscientiousness of 
actual average folks using Bitcoin. So I think there's still a lot to be done, specifically when it comes to integrating our average fintech rails, which are, you know, all right, to actually leverage Bitcoin, which will make it supercharged and allow us to actually have a proper monetary network that we can then build future products and services and actually lead the continent away from some of these, I don't know, some of the shackles of some of the currencies like, you know, the, the Francophone countries are going through, for example. So looking at it from the point of view of how do we not only help with Bitcoin development in general, because Bitcoin development is decentralized, which is really great. So it means any sort of development that happens outside of the continent as well as within the continent compounds the sort of benefit that we see globally, even at, a, at the local level as well, which is really good. So what it means is, for example, if we have a strike working really hard in terms of providing lightning integration all the way outside of the shores of the continent, as well as having some of these products and services on the continent, integrating lightning, it means all the access that we have in terms of sending money abroad and at home are now supercharged and are now not only allowed to be really opening, you know, um, the floodgates to individuals providing serious monetary network that allows them to actually access money and send it back and forth globally cheaply, which is impossible to do with the current system, then I think we're on, we're on the good side. So it means obviously that we have to focus on trying to really increase this development in a way that obviously is conscious of, you know, the local context that we're operating in, as well as trying to make, make it very easy for individuals to use, because that's the number one thing that we have to consider if we're trying to onboard as many people as possible. It's not fair enough that Bitcoin is a superior monetary network. It has to be easy to use for them. So we're looking at ways to actually fund companies that are looking into this deeply, as well as actually trying to ensure that we're building an infrastructure that supports this development too. So like I said, mesh networking and some of these other resilient internet infrastructure as well. Abu Bakar, you talked about that onboarding process. Can you talk about the education that's available to kind of get people um, involved and just interested in general knowing what Bitcoin is? Yeah, so there's been great progress on that end. So initially what started happening is some of the local communities started self-organizing at like a really small scale. So a bunch of small startups here and there and then well, not startups, meetups, a bunch of them here and there. So some happening in Lagos, some happening in Kaduna, where I am. And then what started happening is individuals recognizing, like I said, the benefit of Bitcoin and starting to see it more than just a, a speculative asset as, and then now starting to see it as like a, a proper investment mechanism, a proper monetary network by the Lightning Network, cheap payments, all that kind of great stuff. And really as a liberating force. So in terms of education right now, we're seeing a lot more people not only translate material, which is key and important, but there, there's a lot more material available really in general when it comes to Bitcoin. So both in terms of allowing people to understand how to use it correctly. So you're not address reusing, for example, allowing them to understand some of the tools and services that are available. So let's say I would like to send, you know, um, my friend 2000 Naira, for example, and all I have is Bitcoin and all they have is a bank account. You can actually use the uh, a service called coin profile which you just send bitcoin to an address and then it does a bank transfer on your end so the cool thing with that is obviously is not only allows you to communicate back and forth between the legacy and the future system that we're thinking about is we're also looking at a lot more people starting to really try and leverage the existing you know um hubs for example the tech hubs which is something i'm really closely involved in doing especially in kaduna which is trying to use these existing structures to actually propagate the Bitcoin message. Because again, it's a lot harder to start up all these ecosystems from scratch. Why don't we just plug into the existing tech ecosystem, which is what we're trying to do. So yeah, it's, it's getting there. There's a lot to do. I'm really excited, <laughs> as you can tell. So yeah, we'll likely see 
you know, the continent progressed to an A+. Plus. When, when you think about what's needed, right, if you could get the word out to, uh, you know, whether it's uh, other folks in uh, uh, Africa or folks that are not in Africa, what, what is the two things that you would say, okay, if we can solve problem A, problem B, this will drastically uh, increase adoption, awareness, uh, and ultimately kind of deliver this solution to, uh, to the people who need it most? I say primarily we need we need a lot more quality developers working in the space because currently at the moment, you know, outside of the Gallup program, for example, we're not seeing too many developers in the space. And when I say developers, I mean Bitcoin only developers because currently what's happening, like I told you, is a lot of tech engineers that we have on the continent, but the issue is they're flocking over to building on some of these other chains again as a result of some of the grant programs that those other chains have and some of the money that just indiscriminately throwing on the continent. So I think definitely having a lot more developers work in the space is going to provide a huge net positive. Another thing that I think is really, really important is having the capital to invest in some of these companies that are trying to solve a lot of the problems, a lot of the problems that we see here locally. So I think this is definitely having the developers and then as well as having some capital. And if there's room for a third, I say definitely education because without that, again, if individuals don't know about Bitcoin, then we're really building for no one. Yeah, it, it um it feels like the developer uh, specifically is a huge uh, component all around the world. Um, and then I, I guess one other piece of it is uh, you mentioned um, uh, translation as a key piece. Are, are there other uh, kind of on the ground specifics that are very obvious maybe uh, to people who live in these economies, but to kind of a Western or more American focused audience, they may not realize just like the blocking and tackling that's needed to get uh, get this done and get people educated and aware? Yeah. So like I mentioned, a lot of people obviously have the privilege of being English speakers kind of overlook this, this common facet of when it comes to um, actual education, because what they see is, you know, I can speak English. The, the world is English, whereas that's not the case. There are a lot of languages, especially on a continent as diverse as, as Africa. A lot of these other countries are actually even French-speaking countries and some of these other languages as well. So I, I like to give this example, really, is to think of it as imagine having, you know, all this Bitcoin information locked in hieroglyphics. So this is before the time of the Rosetta Stone. I mean, if that was the case, then there wouldn't be any progress in terms of actually allowing this proliferation that would lead to individuals who actually need Bitcoin, which is outside of more of the developed nations that you're talking about. So really, when it comes to language translation, this is a huge, huge component of education, again, because you're, you're unlocking the secrets of the universe, so to speak, which is allowing individuals to actually know about Bitcoin, learn how to use it, having all these practices and, and, and documentation about learning how to use these tools readily available to individuals. So I think, obviously, the way forward with regards to that is funding some of these projects and individuals that are hard at work in terms of translating. So, you know, passing some of the individuals around the continent doing work on that. Another thing, obviously, is reaching out to some of these tech ecosystems. Like I said, there are already existing tech hubs who are even, you know, um, catered to non-English speaking um, demographics. So what you'd be doing is keying into those ecosystems and saying, hey, you know, let's partner and actually translate some of those Bitcoin material we have. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's go for it. And then like that, you could actually have this sort of grassroots movement where you're having to leverage all these existing infrastructures to provide this language translation as well. So I think really that's that's at least one way we could go about it, especially. So yeah, it's, it's a huge part, definitely. All right, before we get uh, finished here, I want to just fire off some questions and, uh, and you just answer as we go. Ready? Yeah. 
Favorite Bitcoin memory so far? I'd say my first pull request back in 2019. <laughs> Sick. Uh, most memorable conversation or lesson learned from Jack Dorsey? Oof. Um, I definitely say it's, it's one of the combos that we had early on in the process. Where we're talking about you know the general importance of Bitcoin on the continent. It was at least it, it was a really good combo from the perspective of how he outlines some of the things that were kind of missing in my thinking, and also looking at ways in which we could actually provide the change that we need to. So it was really robust conversation. I definitely say that's one of the most memorable ones. Amazing. In your eyes, Bitcoin means fill in the blank. Financial freedom. I love it. Uh, sleep schedule. One of our sponsors is Eight Sleep. What's your sleep schedule? Oof, it's it's effed up. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say I'm a night owl. Well, yeah, it depends. On weekdays, I'm a lot more sane. Weekend, it's, it's just all over the place. All right, like four hours or like six hours? Like what? What when you say it's messed up? Like how bad is it? <laughs> Let's just say some days I get two, three hours. Oh, we got a fan. Listen, we need you for the long haul, buddy. We're going to have to get you sleeping at least six. <laughs> All right. But it's getting better. All right. Look, looking forward, the milestone you're most looking forward to? Ooh, um, getting a lot more developers in the ecosystem, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, the first African nation to move on to the Bitcoin standard is? Uh, I like to Nigeria, but I don't think that's realistic. There'll probably be some other smaller country. <laughs> a smaller one? Okay. And then lastly is uh, your Twitter account is at I hate 1999. What's the story with that? <laughs> yeah. So I joined Twitter back in like 2010 when I was about 11 years old. So only God knows why I chose that. <laughs> oh, so you literally just, when you first signed up, that's what you chose and you just kept it. Yeah. It was too late to change over the years. So I just went, you know. Might as well just keep it. <laughs> what, what year were you born? Uh, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> I love Which that. All right. Confused, like, holy God knows not. L listen, it, it, it provides something that's memorable. No one will forget your Twitter account, yeah. right? Fair point. All right. Sounds good. What, what, other than Twitter, where else can we send people to find out more about Recursive, about Bitcoin Trust, or about yourself? I definitely say they should probably look at our website if it's recursive related. So it's rcrsb.xyz. All right. Listen, buddy, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I'm super uh, excited. I would love to bring you back uh, kind of over the next couple of months as things develop. Um, I, I feel like uh, various countries in Africa are at the absolute forefront of uh, uh, not only the need, but also of adoption. Right, we've seen the numbers uh, that are self-reported, but but still the numbers around uh, Nigeria and a few other countries. And so, just understanding what's happening there, I think, is going to be a huge piece of uh, of folks both on the continent, but also off, uh, really seeing here is the true value of this technology and what it can do for uh, for people. So we'll definitely have you come back and uh, kind of keep us updated on that, uh, along with the other work that you're doing. Yeah, that, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I just continue the work that we're doing, especially with regards to fundraising at Recursive as well, because we're actively fundraising right now. So there's a lot of combos that will be had. Hopefully next time I come on, I have some interesting stories to, to share with you guys. <laughs> I love it. I, I think that uh, that would be a ton of fun. So thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Talk later. Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. 
And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.